Paul's letter to the Philippians is warm, it's positive, and it's joyous. Paul loved the church in Philippi, and it was a continual source of encouragement and joy for him. We, we even refer to it as Paul's letter of joy. However, when we read between the lines, it appears there was a problem in Philippi. In the first chapter, verse 27, we read, Only conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel, so that whether I come and see you or remain absent, I may hear of you that you're standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. Then in chapter 2, verses 1 through 4, we read, If therefore there is any encouragement in Christ, if there is any consolation of love, if there is any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and compassion, make my joy complete by being of the same mind, maintaining the same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose. Do nothing from selfishness or empty deceit. But with humility of mind, let each of you regard one another as more important than himself. Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. And then in verses 14 and 15 of chapter 2, Do all things without grumbling or disputing that you may prove yourselves to be blameless and innocent, children of God above reproach in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation among whom you appear as lights in the world. It sounds like there's a problem here. Now, he addresses the challenge of the Judaizers in chapter 3, But I don't think that's the problem he's alluding to when he says, be of one spirit and one mind and do all things without grumbling or disputing. Something else was going on. And Paul is quite concerned about it. Something was threatening the unity of the church and hurting its witness. So what was it? When is Paul going to quit beating around the bush and get to the heart of the matter? I think he does so today. When he simply says, I urge Euodia and I urge Syntyche to live in harmony in the Lord. Now, at first glance, that appears to be a a minor side issue, a, a personal note that Paul just slipped into his letter to the church. But think about it. This letter was read publicly in the church. Euodia and Syntyche were no doubt in the congregation the morning it was read. And I imagine they were quite shocked and embarrassed to hear, I urge 
Euodia and I urge Syntyche to live in harmony in the Lord. Now, I don't believe Paul would have put them on the spot like that if this wasn't a major problem in the church. Something that was affecting everyone. This may, in fact, be the primary reason for writing the letter. We must never underestimate the harm that can come from two people not getting along in the church. Especially when those two people are in leadership. It's very easy for a personal disagreement to become a congregational problem as others get drawn into the situation and start taking sides. The chances are pretty good that that is what had happened in Philippi. And that's why Paul dealt with it in such a public manner. And while we may cringe at the seeming abruptness of his approach, I think if we'll look at it more closely, we'll discover that Paul handled the situation very well. He began by laying a solid foundation upon which to build unity in the first three chapters of his letter. And then he got to the heart of the problem, and he did so lovingly. He began with loving affirmation, proceeded to a loving confrontation, and then made a loving solicitation for others to get directly involved in solving the problem. I think those three steps might serve us all well when trying to help others resolve personal conflicts both inside and outside the church. Now, as an aside, I have to say I am so thankful that we just preach straight through Bible passages. Because if out of the blue I preached this sermon, everyone would go, what's the problem? (laughs) Thankfully, as far as I know, as of this moment, there is none. Okay? Just say that out front. But we need to know what God's Word says about it. In the event that it rises, we know how to handle it. And by reading through, we deal with these things as the Spirit directs, not in response to uh, immediate concerns. Okay? Paul is dealing with something, and he's dealing with it very well, a very common problem that infects churches, infects families, infects relationships across the board. And I think the way he handles it can help us all handle it better. He handles it in a positive, loving way, beginning with a loving affirmation. Chapter 4, verse 1, he says, Therefore, my beloved brethren, whom I long to see, my joy and crown, so stand firm in the Lord, my beloved. Paul knew the importance of affirming his love before seeking to discipline or to even confront. You know, like a parent, 
He knew that effective discipline can only take place within the context of affirming love. If kids don't know that we love them, discipline usually does more harm than good. It embitters and it alienates. So we affirm our love before we address the problem. And that's what Paul is doing here. He says, therefore, my beloved brethren. He addressed the Philippians as his beloved brethren, their family. And he loves them like family. In fact, he loves them even more than just family. The word for beloved doesn't refer to familial love. It refers to agape, a self-sacrificing love. It's the same kind of love God expressed from heaven when he said of Jesus, this is my beloved son. Paul is saying, I love you the same way God loves his son. You are my beloved brothers and sisters whom I long to see. Not only do I love you, I like you. (laughs) And I long to see you. I long to be with you. I really miss you. I can't wait to see you again. You're not only my family, you're my friends. You know, sometimes we joke. We can choose our friends, but we can't choose our family. He says, you're you're my friends, too. I choose you to be friends. And I want to be with you as soon as possible. You're my joy. Being with you brings me much joy. Our relationship brings me joy, even now when I'm forced to be away from you. Just thinking about you brings a, a smile to my face. You're my crown. Knowing we are friends not only brings me joy, I glory in it. I wear our friendship like a a victor's wreath on my head or an Olympic gold medal around my neck. I treasure you in our relationship. I care about you. And I want you to stand firm in the Lord. I never want us to lose what we share in Christ. You are my beloved. Now, he may not have actually spelled it out quite like that. But that's what he's saying. He's affirming his love for them. There can be no doubt about Paul's love for the Philippians, all of them. Even Euodia and Syntyche, whom he now confronts with love. I urge Euodia and I urge Syntyche to live in harmony in the Lord. We don't know anything about Euodia and Syntyche other than what we read here and in the next verse. Their names mean prosperous and fortunate, but that may reflect more their parents' dreams for them than their own personal situations. We don't know. All we really know is that they were women in the church. They had worked with Paul, and they were now at odds with each other. We have no way of knowing what the problem was. Apparently, it wasn't 
a doctrinal or theological problem. If it were, Paul would have addressed it and, and, and answered it and cleared it up. Most likely it was a personal problem that had grown all out of proportion. One may have slighted the other or said something unkind about the other. Maybe it was just a personality thing. They just didn't get along. Their tastes were different and they were opinionated. There's no end to the kinds of things that can come between friends and destroy churches. It doesn't take much to get a ball rolling downhill. Whatever the problem, the important thing for us to see is how Paul dealt with the problem. He didn't choose sides. He addressed them equally. He says, I urge Euodia and I urge Syntyche. And the word for urge means to call to one side. It's not a command. It's not an order. It's a plea for them both to come to Paul's side and let him help. He's not condemning them. He's not reprimanding them. He's urging them as a mutual friend to live in harmony with each other. He's literally encouraging them to be of the same mind. So how is it possible for two women who aren't getting along to be of the same mind? You bring them together in the Lord. And that's what Paul did. He urged them to be of the same mind in the Lord. You get them to come to Christ with their differences and take on his mind. You get them to do what he told everyone to do in chapter 2. Have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus. Take on a mind that gives up what it wants. A mind that goes to the cross so God's will can be done. If Euodia and Syntyche would take their differences to the cross, they could be of the same mind. And Paul urges them to do just that. And not only does he urge them to do so, he solicits others to help them do so. He says, indeed, true comrade, I ask you also to help these women who have shared my struggle in the cause of the gospel together with Clement also and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. Paul solicited the help of a true comrade. Now, who is this comrade? We don't know. There's a lot of conjecture. But perhaps the best way to read this is to simply read comrade or yoke fellow as a person's name. The name would be Syzygus. Indeed, true Sigagus, I ask you to help these women. Now, 
We really don't find that name anywhere else. But it could be a man's name. And if it is, then Paul is likely making a, a play on his name by calling him true Sychicus. You, who are a true yoke fellow indeed, I ask you to help these women. How? Paul doesn't say. But the word he uses for help means to take or lay a hold of. Maybe he's saying, take these women with you to the cross and help them find the mind of Christ. Be a friend. Yoke yourself together with them and see to it that they work out their differences in the presence of Christ. Don't overlook the problem. Help your sisters. Now, sometimes it is hard to know when to step in and help someone. And I I don't think that every time we hear of a problem between two people, we need to jump right in. We may only complicate the problem. Maybe if we just give them a little time, they'll work it out between themselves and the Lord. And if they do, that is, is the very best way to get it resolved. But the problem keeps festering and starts affecting more and more people. Something has to be done. It cannot be ignored. Someone has to yoke themselves to them and say, let me help. And if we're not able to help personally, we need to solicit help for them. We need to find someone who can. Maybe... Maybe we're not the best person to get involved in that little struggle. Maybe there's a personality conflict there that would not be taken well. So find somebody else. We need sometimes to solicit help. And we need to be careful that when we're doing so, we don't badmouth someone by saying, oh, yeah, sister so-and-so's at it again. You need to see what you can do about it. That's not what he's saying. Paul doesn't say anything negative about them at all. Instead, he reminds Sychagus that these sisters shared in his struggle for the gospel. They had been in the trenches with him. They had also worked with Clement, who we don't know, but apparently was held in high regard by the church. These ladies were not troublemakers. They were fellow workers, and their names were in the book of life. They were to be respected as such and lovingly helped as such. What happened? We don't know. But I've got a feeling that Euodia and Syntyche soon found harmony in the Lord. How could they not? They were loved and affirmed. They were lovingly confronted urged to face a problem they were struggling with and it was affecting the church. And loving friends were willing to come alongside and help them work out their differences in the presence of Christ. Surely this pattern will work for us as well. In our homes and in our churches. Through loving affirmation, confrontation, and solicitation, 
we can all live in harmony in the Lord. And if we do that, the world will know that we are Christians by our love. Let's stand.